I had a mountaintop experience on an actual mountaintop once. Uh, nestled in the shores of Saranac Lake in upstate New York, I was attending a Christian retreat for high school kids. Now, high school kids are notoriously difficult to impress, uh, so this camp uh, took out, pulled out all the stops uh, to try to impress high school kids with a super cool daily routine of the most exciting outdoor activities. We went parasailing, and there was a ropes course, and there was a swimming pool with this 50-foot water slide. Uh, it was, for a high school kid, it was pretty cool. Um, but these thrilling activities, which were designed to help us enjoy the great outdoors and God's good creation, were not really the transformative part of the week, for me at least. Um, it was the nightly talks where a pastor would talk to us about faith. I was really transfixed by this message, so much so that one night I found myself waiting until the hundreds of kids had left the auditorium. I kind of lingered behind, wanting to talk to this pastor. Um, and I confessed to him that I'd really been feeling rather distant from God at that point. I think I was a senior in high school. Um, I mean, I, I grew up going to church, and I was a pretty good kid. Um, and then I did things that a lot of high school kids do, um, and it had pulled me away from, from God and feeling close to God and like I was in alignment with who God wanted me to be. Um, and I told this pastor as such. His talks had made me realize just how distant that I had gotten, and I wanted to reconnect to God after hearing these messages throughout the week, and I just really didn't, didn't know how. Um, and so he listened very gently, and then he grabbed a scrap of paper and scribbled something on it and handed it to me and said, take this, get your Bible, and go find a quiet place to sit somewhere and read it. So I looked at the paper, and it had this one simple question written on it. It said, how does God feel about Julie? Luke 15, 11 to 32. Some of you are giggling because you probably know what that citation is. I did not at the time yet. Um, although, with my Bible in hand, I, you know, I climbed onto a little rock that overlooked this beautiful lake, and under the moonlight, I opened to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, starting at verse 11. And I was only one sentence in when I realized that I was reading the parable of the prodigal son. And as the soft evening... I'm going to cry just thinking about that. It was a very... Did not expect this to happen. Wow. It was really powerful. I'm, here I am, I'm 30 years later, and I'm still overcome with how powerful that moment was. I didn't do this at 7.45, Juanita. I don't know why I'm getting teary now. <laughs> Oof. But as that soft evening breeze whispered through those trees, it felt like God herself was whispering to me to return, to return home to God's loving arms. And I wept like I am now, uh, and like never before. I mean, I was 17, right? Never before in scripture just felt so deeply personal and alive. Never before had God's unconditional love felt like it was for me too. It was a tremendous mountaintop moment on a literal mountaintop, and it was a profound experience of God's loving presence in my life. It was transformative. And I climbed down from that rock feeling like a new person, completely different person. And I returned home from that retreat 
with this like vigor and joy that I had not felt in a long time. And a few days after I had returned home, I was telling my mom all about this, how amazing this retreat was, how much it had changed me, how like on fire for God I was. And she said, yeah, I remember going on those kinds of retreats and coming home feeling like that when I was your age. You come home on this spiritual high and it feels good. It doesn't last though. <laughs> something like that. Though those may not have been her exact words, but it was definitely something to that effect. And I was like, ew, <laughs> like, way to harsh my buzz. I was so annoyed. <laughs> um, it just felt like she was totally invalidating that experience. Like, thanks for being a buzzkill. But of course, you and I know she was right. Those mountaintop moments are profound, but they are fleeting. And I think that is why Peter and James and John wanted so desperately to capture that mountaintop moment with Jesus. This Messiah, this leader that they had been following, someone who would cause a lot of stir, quite a bit of controversy, was revealed for who he really was. He was God. God's son, God incarnate, literally standing there in front of them, dazzling with God's voice booming down from the clouds. I mean, who can blame them, right, for wanting to capture that moment, that glory forever? Religion is designed in some ways to give us mountaintop moments. Sometimes I worry that can be where religion fails us. It gives us the mountaintop. It gives us an escape from the valleys and the harshness of the world that we live in. We worship in a sanctuary, literally, legally, this is a safe space, right? People can get, find sanctuary, safety in this very building. We construct temples and sacred spaces and we erect works of art and Tiffany stained glass windows and ancient liturgies and beautiful hymns, all that are comforting and beautiful and ancient. And for a brief moment, we can celebrate the diversity and the goodwill here and have a break from the brokenness that surrounds us. But as much as religion acknowledges the valleys that we inhabit, I wonder sometimes if it truly prepares us for them. I wonder if we come to religion for solace only and not for strength, for pardon only and not for renewal. Like Peter, James, and John, we would prefer, I think, to set up camp in the safe and happy places. I know I would. We're still living, my friends, in the valley of the shadow of a pandemic in the dark shadows of police brutality where unarmed black men continue to be murdered in the sinister wells of white supremacy, in the literal earth-shattering devastation of earthquakes and other natural disasters, in the valleys of our own grief and fear and anxiety. I don't know about you, but those are some valleys that I would be very happy for Jesus to lead me out of and away from. But like my mother said to me so many years ago, Jesus says to his disciples, get up. And when they look up, it's all gone. What a buzzkill Jesus was. I think he learned from my mom. 
How disappointed the disciples must have felt. I can relate. Their Lord and Savior gave them this amazing moment of grace, and it was so fleeting they were barely able to enjoy it before he forced them to get up and face reality. The tension point of the transfiguration is that Jesus leads his disciples up to a mountaintop and then he leads them back down, away from it. He leads them to something glorious and wonderful and then he leads them back into the valley, back to the place where there is illness and poverty and devastation and all manner of difficulty. The disappointing truth is that if we follow Jesus, all of our mountaintop moments will end. But is that really disappointing? Let us not forget what really happened on that mountaintop so many years ago. Jesus' disciples had a profound transformative moment with their Lord and Savior, a moment where they experienced the deep love and abiding hope and steadfast faith that Jesus gives us. And they want to remain in that moment on that mountaintop. And Jesus says, no, you can't stay here. And if that was all that Jesus had said, it would have been very disappointing indeed. But that's not all he says. The gospel account says that as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus spoke again to them. Jesus does not send them back down the mountain alone. He accompanies them. And not only does he accompany them, he leads them. He says, follow me back down that mountain, and together, let's get to work. Last week, Father Frank gave us a good word and reminded us that the greatest gift that God gives us is the power to make choices. I took notes, Frank. I wonder how each of us, in our own way, consciously or not, chooses the mountaintop and avoids the valley. I know there are valleys I would like to avoid. But we are about to enter the season of Lent, a time when we often take up a particular practice or discipline. I know you may, if you you are a church person, you get accustomed to hearing, so what are you giving up for Lent? I want to put that language aside for a moment, but I do want us to consider what our Lenten disciplines might be. And as we do that, I wonder... How will you encounter the world more in all of its brokenness? What can you do that will build the practice of walking into the world with Jesus by your side? How will you let Jesus lead you and trust that even if it is to a place you do not want to go, that he is there with you all the way? It might not feel like good news, to know that Jesus does not lead us to mountaintops and let us just stay there. But it is good news that he leads us no matter the altitude. The promise is true. God will not leave us or forsake us. And so friends, let us walk into the valley together.